My name is Blake Rocap, and I'm the legislative counsel at Avow and the legal director at Jane's Due Process. I like working with Progress Texas because I can always count on them to get out the progressive values-based message that all of our allied organizations fighting on all sorts of different issues are pushing. It's Friday, March 1st, 2024, and this is the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch. Rapid response on the breaking news stories Texas progressives need to know. I'm Chris Mosier. Today, dear listener, is the last day to vote early in the 2024 primary. Then just Super Tuesday, March 5th remains. Now, considering our super activated audience, chances are good that you've already voted or have a plan in place. Thanks for that. But in my experience, personally, this time around, the majority of the people in your life you might think the same about probably haven't voted. So now's the time to play some calls or texts to light a fire. Turnout tracker provided by KXAN TV in the show notes now has counts through Wednesday, a little over 1.2 million out of the 17 million registered voters in Texas have gotten it done as of then over twice as many Republicans as Democrats. GoVoteTexas.org has all your needs for voting in Texas. Speaking of the primary, new polling is out from the University of Texas at Tyler that shows some interesting things. Our junior Senator Ted Cruz's unfavorability ratings are through the roof amongst Democrats, which isn't a surprise, really. More telling is what Republicans think about Cruz, and that's pretty lukewarm, actually, with only about half as many saying they're enthusiastic members of Team Ted. Also interesting, when asked which Democratic senatorial candidates they plan to vote for in the primary, Democrats went 37% for U.S. Representative Colin Allred, 22% for State Senator Roland Gutierrez, leaving the remaining 40% undecided or picking one of the background candidates. Probably the most promising bit here is an overall call between Cruz and Allred, who is the only Democrat measured here personally against the incumbent, which finds the two tied at 41% with just under 20% undecided. It's starting to look like a very interesting election year for Democrats in Texas. Daniela Ibarra at KSAT in San Antonio writes on President Joe Biden's visit to Texas yesterday. The president delivered remarks in Brownsville, joined by embattled Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, San Antonio Mayor Ron Nirenberg, Brownsville Mayor John Cohen, and others pushing for the bipartisan immigration deal that so far has been derailed by congressional Republicans who see border issues as more favorable to their electoral prospects unsolved. I'm including the entirety of President Biden's talk in Brownsville at the end of this podcast. Stick around for that. I will not, in contrast, be including the entirety of the remarks of former President Donald Trump and his competing sideshow and ego pass yesterday, but I will note a couple of things about that event. Former Congressman and Trump resistor Adam Kinzinger noted on Twitter that it's inappropriate and likely against military code for active duty officers to appear as part of political events held by non-office holders, but that appeared to happen at Trump's event. Kinzinger was noting a comment from another user about Uniform Code of Military Justice or UCMJ Article 92, which forbids uniformed officers from standing behind a non-elected person politicking for partisan purposes and requires any such uniformed person to leave any stage where that begins to happen. Curious to see if anything on this develops. Trump did note one thing relevant to Texas, and it's something that actually explains a lot in this state lately. Matthew Watkins at the Texas Tribune notes that Trump mentioned that Governor Abbott is absolutely 
on his short list of potential vice presidential candidates for his 2024 run. When asked about it by Fox News' Sean Hannity, certainly a happy day for the governor who's gone nuts with army man cosplay at the border costing billions and displays of cruelty towards migrants costing millions of your tax dollars and an obvious ploy to gain the former guy's favor. Meanwhile, as an Austin resident, I got to throw this in, too. Abbott was speaking Wednesday at a campaign event for one of the several House candidates he's propping up, hoping for their voucher votes, when he brought up the idea of building a wall around liberal Austin. After the wall at the Mexican border is finished, let me say, as an Austinite, that as long as Abbott himself and his fellow MAGA bootlickers are kept outside that wall around Austin, have at it. By the way, and while we're at it, Alex Phillips at Newsweek notes one potential issue for Trump voters in Texas. If you happen to know any, please pass the word that our state stands to lose billions of dollars in investment should Trump win this fall as he plans to dismantle President Biden's landmark Inflation Reduction Act, which ironically has disproportionately benefited Texas and other red states. Really, the bigger story from yesterday regarding the border relates to SB4, the draconian and unconstitutional new immigration enforcement law set to go into effect on Tuesday. Abigail Velez at CBS Austin writes that SB4, designed to give the state the authority to arrest and deport undocumented migrants, is now on hold after a federal judge issued a preliminary injunction on it yesterday. This move keeps SB4 from being enforced while the court battle over it continues to play out, and all of this results from legal challenges by the Department of Justice and the American Civil Liberties Union. However, and following a now familiar pattern just hours after the federal ruling was announced yesterday, Texas appealed to the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans, which has become notorious as a MAGA rubber stamp on legal overreach. Don't be surprised if that court stays U.S. District Judge David Ezra's injunction today or this weekend. Experts are predicting this will go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, which, of course, as we know, is heavily stacked with conservative justices. Over to the fight for abortion rights, Bayless Wagner at the Austin American Statesman interviewed Amanda Zorowski upon her selection as USA Today's Women of the Year honoree for Texas. Zorowski is credited for paving the way for so many other Texas women negatively impacted by our state's near-complete abortion bans. Zorowski, as you'll recall, nearly died as a result of delayed care for a tragically unsuccessful pregnancy and was later the lead plaintiff against the state in challenges to that ban, eventually joined by 19 other women and two OBGYNs in a case that remains under consideration at the Texas Supreme Court. Zorowski notes that she didn't expect to end up a prominent women's rights figure, but that, quote, life is a journey and this is a beautiful ride. I have no idea what's around the corner, but I tell myself to enjoy it. Life is short and you can find beauty and joy and happiness in anything. I think you just have to choose joy, unquote, and agreed. We're admirers here at Progress Texas. See the full interview link from the Statesman in the show notes. Also on abortion rights, Jeff Mulvihill at the Associated Press says a Texas prosecutor has been disciplined for allowing murder charges to be filed against a woman who self-managed an abortion in a 2022 case that sparked national outrage. Star County District Attorney Gosha Ramirez has agreed to pay a $1,250 fine and have his license held in a probated suspension for 12 months in a settlement reached with the State Bar of Texas, whose investigation into the matter found that Ramirez had permitted an assistant to take the case to a grand jury and knowingly made a false statement when he said he hadn't known about the charges before they were filed. 
A nightmare scenario continues to worsen in the Texas panhandle. Morgan Windsor at ABC News says several of the wildfires in the area have merged into one gigantic blaze that now stretches across the eastern half of the Texas panhandle. Joe Sutton at CNN say this monster fire, now only 5% contained, is likely to continue growing as dry air and gusty winds provide fuel through this weekend. The Smokehouse Creek Fire is already the largest fire on record in Texas, having consumed over 1 million acres and has now crossed the eastern state line into Oklahoma. This fire, in fact, is now among the largest in the history of the entire continental U.S. since reliable record-keeping began back in the 1980s. Let's talk Ken Paxton here because we have to, I guess. Rachel Snyder at WFAA in Dallas says our multiply indicted attorney general has been busy with a flurry of lawsuits designed to surround Texans out in public with as many guns as possible. He's sued the State Fair of Texas as well as the factory in Deep Ellum in Dallas and Texas Trust CU Theater in Grand Prairie, two live music venues, for refusing to allow off-duty police officers to bring their firearms into the venues on multiple occasions, which you might not be surprised to learn is in violation of a 2017 Texas law that allows officers to bring their weapons into public venues where alcohol is being served, whether or not the officers are on duty. Also from the Paxton Department and Laura McGowie at the Texas Tribune, who writes on a new release of information on the Paxton impeachment by the Texas Senate in response to a public records request by NPR's Texas Newsroom, revealing behind-the-scenes fights between Paxton's defense team and the prosecution, standing out amongst this huge pile of info to McGowie. Paxton's alleged mistress, Laura Olson, who was thought might testify but eventually didn't after she threatened to plead the fifth if compelled to take the stand. Nate Paul, the real estate investor at the center of Paxton's misbehavior, also refused to cooperate with a subpoena to his lawyers. And the whistleblowers who set all of this into motion reported being bullied and harassed by the Paxton team in the lead-up to the proceedings. And there's lots more, and I mean lots more, to dive into, if you like, at the Texas Tribune link in the show notes. Chances are you'll find yourself in an HEB over the weekend if you live here in Texas. And here's one to make you feel even better about that. Andrea Guzman at the Houston Chronicle says HEB chairman and former CEO Charles Butt, a staunch and longtime supporter of public schools in Texas, is continuing to champion education through a political action committee that has pumped $1.3 million into the campaigns of seven state lawmakers in Texas now under attack by primary challengers backed by Governor Greg Abbott on his tour of retribution. Charles Butt has long provided monetary support for public education, pledging $100 million towards the creation of the Holdsworth Center, a nonprofit organization that aims to support public school leaders and their development in 2017. In the following year, Butt joined the Giving Pledge, a program established by Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett, in which philanthropists dedicate portions of their wealth to charitable causes. Winding down here, tomorrow, Saturday, March 2nd, is Texas Independence Day and will mark the 188th anniversary of the adoption of the Texas Declaration of Independence in 1836, a document signed by 59 delegates via which settlers in Mexican Texas officially declared independence from Mexico and created the independent nation known as the Republic of Texas, which itself would exist for about 10 years before being annexed by the United States in 1846. Now, it's fun to celebrate and all, but frankly, there's not likely a single piece of American history more drenched in heroic bullshit than that of the Texas Revolution that followed. Texas enjoys the distinction of being the only piece of the U.S., that has detached itself from another country in order to protect the institution of slavery twice. 
once from Mexico and then just a few years later from the U.S. at the onset of the American Civil War. There's a great book about all of this to check out, by the way. This is the provocatively titled Forget the Alamo, a book you might recall that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick stopped from being featured at the Texas State History Museum in Austin when it was released in 2021. It's a terrific read for Texans who want to know the real truth about the founding of Texas, a truth that actually explains quite a bit about the current state of affairs in the Lone Star State. See a link to grab it in the show notes. Also with March arrives Women's History Month, and we've got a brand new and extensive list of related events across the state to check out. A lot going on this weekend, plus a nice review of some of our greatest trailblazing Texas women. See all of that at ProgressTexas.org. Right now, there's a great opportunity to support Progress Texas in this all-important election year. Whether you follow us for our great pods, our handy and popular digital voter guides, our great-looking and easy-to-understand GoVoteTexas.org website, which in English and Spanish helps Texans navigate registering and voting, you can support our work during the annual Amplify Austin nonprofit and charity fundraiser, of which the early giving phase is now underway. No matter where in Texas you live, you can sign up to be a fundraising champion and help Progress Texas continue to shape positive, progressive messaging for the issues you care about. We're eligible for bonuses too, including the org with the most unique donors. So donations of any amount at all are a big help. And we thank you in advance. Also hit the web store at progresstexas.org where you can choose from y'all means all revolution and our most popular humans against Ted Cruz t-shirts, all union made right here in Texas. That's the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch for this Friday, March the 1st, 2024. Links to all these original stories can be found in our show notes. If you're enjoying our podcast, an easy way to help spread the word is to leave us a positive review on your podcast delivery of choice and be sure to tell your friends about us too. Progress Texas is a nonprofit rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. While campaigns come and go, we're the permanent home for progressive media and action in the Lone Star State. Again, our web store and many other ways to support our ongoing mission at progresstexas.org. I'm Chris Mosier. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Happy Texas Independence Day. Happy Women's History Month. And we'll see you again on Monday morning. We close with the full remarks from President Joe Biden delivered yesterday in Brownsville, Texas. Hello, folks. Uh, Good afternoon. Before we start, I'd like to say a few words about the devastating wildfires that are scorching Texas Panhandle and uh, Northwest Oklahoma. Um, You know, uh, yesterday, one of the biggest fire events in Texas history, with more than one million, more than one million acres of Texas land burned. From the start, I directed my team to do everything possible to help protect the people in the communities threatened by these fires. In response to specific requests from the made from the state, we already have more than 500 federal personnel here working on fire suppression. That includes the deployment of 100 federal firefighters and more on the way, as well as dozens of of additional fire engines, air tankers, small planes, helicopters to help fight the flames. And FEMA has already guaranteed that Texas and Oklahoma will be reimbursed for the cost of keeping folks safe. And we're grateful for the brave first responders risking their lives to save others. And we urge, we urge folks to listen to the warnings from the local officials, listen to them. I've flown over a lot of these wildfires since I've been president. As a matter of fact, I've been a helicopter in the west and the southwest and northwest, flown over more land burned to the ground, all the vegetation gone, than this entire state of Maryland in square footage. The idea there's no such thing as climate change. I love that, man. I love some of my Neanderthal friends. Uh, who still think there's no climate change. 
Well, my administration is going to keep building on the progress we've made fighting climate crisis, and we're going to keep help folks rebuild themselves in the wake of these disasters. And we rebuild to the standards that are up, the up-to-date standards and building codes and the rest. Because a lot, of, if you fly over these areas that are burned to the ground, you'll see in the midst of 20 homes that are just totally destroyed, one home sitting there because they had the right roof on it. And anyway, since I took office, FEMA's provided Texas alone over $13 billion, $13 billion in three years in disaster relief after fires and winter storms across this state. When disasters strike, there's no red state or blue state where I come from. They're just communities and families looking for help. So we're standing with everyone, everyone affected by these wildfires. They're going to continue to help you respond and recover. Now, turning to the purpose of my visit, I want to thank Congressman Gonzalez. There you are, pal. I, I thank you. Thank him for the passport into his district, but uh, he's been a great partner. I also want to thank Mayor, 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 Mayor Cowan for his partnership, and I want to thank County Judge Trevino I, uh, for over 30 and over 30 local officials who've joined us here today. No one, no one works harder for a safe, secure border than all of you. And Secretary Mayorkas has joined us today, and he's joined by seven mayors and cities and towns across South Texas. Four county judges here from across the state. I told the county judge that I used to be a county official. That's the hardest job in American politics. You know why? They think you can do everything you don't have the budget. So anyway. <laughs> and the two leaders from the Texas legislature, State House Leader Trey is here, Trey Martinez Fisher, and the State Senate Leader, Carol Alvadero. Uh, and uh, look, uh, and all the other local officials that are here today, I want to say thanks. Folks, it's real simple. It's time to act. It's long past time to act. I just received a briefing from the Border Patrol at the border, as well as immigration and enforcement, asylum officers, and they're all doing incredible work under really tough conditions. Really tough conditions. They told me what, they, what, what you already know and we already know. They desperately need more resources. Say it again, they desperately need more resources, need more agents, more officers, more judges, more equipment in order to secure our border. Folks, it's time for us to move on this. We can't wait any longer. Folks, on my first day as president, I introduced a bill I sent to Congress, a comprehensive plan to fix the broken immigration system and to secure the border. But no action was taken. Then months ago, my team began a serious negotiation in a bipartisan group of senators, Democrat-leading conservative Republicans and de progressive Democrats, and it resulted in a compromise bill. It's the toughest set of border security reforms we've ever seen in this country. It's pretty basic. With this deal, we could hire 1,500 additional border security agents, 1,500 additional office and officers, and between ports of entry, for the last four years, staffing has been roughly that, flat, just flat. Agents working overtime, spending long hours patrolling the border, making major sacrifices. And I know it takes a big toll on them and their families. That's why in December I signed a bill, finally getting Border Patrol agents, what I've been pushed by and reminded by the congressman, overtime pay they deserve. Finally getting overtime pay. I, I mean, it's ridiculous it took this long. It was a long past time, and I was proud to do it. But we need to do more. It's time to step up. It's time to step up. 
provide them with significantly more personnel and capability. We also need more immigration judges to help handle the backlog. There are two million cases, backlog of two million cases. This bipartisan deal would provide funding for 100 more immigration judges immediately. It would also establish new efficient and fair process for the government to consider asylum claims for those arriving on our border. Today, the process to get a decision on an asylum claim takes five to seven years. Now, you all know it down here, but the people around the country don't understand it. It's far too long. You come in, you say, you say I have a credible fear, and we've changed that standard to make it hard. We want to change make it harder. And what happens? You say, well, okay, you can win the country, but come back in five to seven years, maybe as many as eight years, and you'll get a hearing from before a judge to determine whether you can stay. This will encourage more people. This encourages more people to come to the country. <clears throat> if they get by the first, say they got another five, seven, eight years before they have to do anything because they know they cannot handle the caseloads quickly and they'll be able to stay in this country in the meantime. With new policies in this bill, in addition of 4,300 additional asylum officers, we'll be able to reduce that process to less than six months. That would have a serious deterrent effect on those coming north. When, 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 when the criminal gangs say, we'll get you north, what's 8,000 bucks? They say, no, wait, let me get this straight. I'm going to go north. It's going to cost me six, eight, probably more closer to eight, I guess, thousand dollars equivalent. And I'm going to get there. And in six months, they may be able to get rid of me. I don't know, man. Six months, seven years, two different things. The person who's thinking about entering the United States understands the cases to be decided in a few weeks or months instead of five to seven years. They're less likely to come in the first place. They're <clears throat> not going to pay the cartels thousands of dollars to make that journey. Knowing that, it will be turned around quickly. Look, then we also need more cutting-edge inspection machines to detect and stop fentanyl from entering the United States of America. A year ago, I stood at the border in El Paso, and I watched these machines at work. They were able to detect everything from fentanyl to weapons to people being smuggled in cargo containers. This, this compromise bill would provide an additional four, three, $424 million for 100 more of these machines and could save lives in the process. This compromised legislation will also give me as president, or any the next president, emergency authority to temporarily shut down the border between ports of entry when the numbers of immigrants and migrants, excuse me, overwhelm the border, starting straining the Border Patrol's ability to process them. At the same time, at our legal ports of entry, like here in Brownsville, we're making investments in infrastructure. My bipartisan infrastructure law is going to provide nearly $4 billion new dollars to boost security, to ease waiting times at land and ports of entry like Brownsville. And I want to thank again Congressman Gonzalez for helping me get that through, get that passed in the, in the law. That you get the money for the, for example, that's how you got the money for the Gateway Bridge from that fund. Folks, the bipartisan border security deal is a win for the American people. And it's a win for the people of Texas, and it's fair for those who legitimately have a right to come here to begin with. It's a win for the people of Brownsville, and I believe that's why the Border Patrol Union endorsed it. I believe that's why the National Chamber of Commerce, the National Chamber of Commerce endorsed it, not known as the Democratic Organization with a capital D. Look, and that's why the Wall Street Journal endorsed it as well. This is a truly bipartisan initiative. 
That's why the bipartisan South Texas Alliance of Cities endorsed it. Folks, <clears throat> I, didn't get, I didn't get everything I wanted in that compromised bipartisan bill, but neither did anybody else. The compromise is part of the process. That's how democracy works. That's how it's supposed to work. Compromise is a very positive step on a critical issue for the country, all those issues for the country. And folks here in Brownsville and all along the border know that. We need to have their backs, your backs. I want the people to understand clearly what happened here. This bill was in the United States Senate. It was on its way to being passed. Then it was derailed by rank-and-file politics, rank partisan politics. The U.S. Senate needs to reconsider this bill. And those senators who oppose it need to set politics aside and pass it on merits, not on whether it's going to benefit one party or benefit the other party. It's about whether it benefits the American people. It's what the American people deserve. The Speaker of the House needs to put this bill on the floor because if he put it on the floor unrestricted, it would pass. The majority of Democrats and Republicans in both houses support this legislation until someone came along and said, don't do that, it'll benefit the incumbent. That's a hell of a way to do business in America for such a serious problem. We need to act. It's time for the speakers and some of my Republican friends in Congress who are blocking this bill to show a little spine. Pass a bipartisan board, bipartisan, as I'm going to remember, bipartisan, conservative leaders supported this. Border security bill. Let's remember who we work for, for God's sake. We work for the American people. Let me end with this. I understand my predecessor's legal past today. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me, or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know it's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. So instead of playing politics with the issue, why don't we just get together and get it done? Let's remember who the heck we work for. We work for the American people, not the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. We work for the American people. And let's remember who we are. We're the United States of America. No, I mean this. Think about this. There's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity. Nothing when we work together. And if all things we should be working together on is this, we have the formula to get it done. God bless you all. May God protect our Border Patrol and God protect our troops. Now I'd like to turn this over to Secretary Mayorkas. Thank you.